everyone. This is Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast, and today's guest is Gannon Bresling, who is the founder of Rebel Markets Newsletter, which is the best place for you to get your business and finance news. Gannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Maxine. So stoked to be on Prosper Podcast. Um, yeah, just happy, happy <laughs> to be here. Hope you're doing great. Yeah, thank you. Um, before we get into anything, your name is one of the most unique names I've ever heard of. And whenever I have a guest like you come on board, I'm always like, okay, I need to know about your name. How did it come yeah. about? Like, did your mom and dad name you it? Like, what, what's the background yeah. there? <laughs> I get that a lot. I've actually never met someone in person with my name. I've heard of people having my name. Um, it's an Irish last name, actually. Uh, my dad's Irish. I have a full Irish name. And so is we're, mine, Maxine Ryan. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, a lot of people familiarize it with it from the old video game, the old Zelda. Uh, there was a villain character named like Ganon. And so <laughs> some people know it through that, but it's, it's an Irish name. Yeah, it's, it's actually a very, very awesome name. Um, and I think that's not the only thing that's like kind of unique about you. Um, you know, I, I obviously I want you to like introduce yourself to everybody that's listening, but I heard that you're actually in the Navy. Is that right? Correct. So I'm in the uh, Navy Reserves as an officer. Um, I went to a military academy for for college and yeah, I sail, I do investing, I do kind of all sorts of things. Um, but yeah. <laughs> a lot of things well, well like how did you how did you get from um well i mean how do you balance like being in mm-hmm. the navy and then like getting into finance like did your hobby just kind of kind of like develop over time yeah well in college the school that i went to kind of like the other military academies is very strict right you yeah it's not like the other american colleges or partying and stuff like that so i had a lot of time to, you know, in my room and I, <laughs> I fell in love with stocks at the end of high school and I transferred that over to college. So I spent a lot of time reading, watching videos, investing. Um, I stopped playing sports in high school, the end of high school. So in college, kind of investing in stocks was my own way to fuel my like competitive spirit. And I, I replaced it with that. And yeah, ever since. So yeah, investing is, um, it definitely like brings something out of you, especially when you're kind of like on the trading side. Uh, but you know, what was the first moment that made you invest? I've spoken to a lot of people and sometimes there's a personal reason behind it. Sometimes they're just like, you know what? I just like, wanted to make like a shit ton of money. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't have yeah, right. now, but, um, what was the one moment that made you want to invest? You know, it's kind of a, I kind of have a two part answer for that. When, when Let's get people into ask it. me that. Yeah. Uh, so my mom, she, she loves the stock market. And uh, my parents were, my mom's been a real estate agent for a long time. My dad was a general contractor and their type of investments were real estate, uh, like kind of flipping houses and, and stuff like that. She dabbled in the stock market. And so that was kind of always in my mind. And you know, we went through 2008. That was really tough. Mm-hmm. My, my parents kind of stopped investing after that for the most part. And um, but it was always there. Once you catch that bug, it's, it's always there and they've gone back into it. And 
I would ask my mom, oh, I really want to set up an account. We kind of just never got around to it. And the thing that really actually was like the catalyst that set it off was my really good friend at the time, Nathan. He told me about it. He was a junior in high school. He goes, oh, my parents set up a, an account for me. I, I bought my first stock. And that's wow. when I went and finally was like, oh, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. Then. <laughs> you know, so kind of yeah. pushed me finally off the edge. So how, how old were you then? I want to say I was 17 or turning 18. I I can't remember the exact age, but it was end of junior year of high school. So it was about over six years ago now. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's like, I feel like the more that I talk to different people, the more that they're kind of just like investing at these really young ages, like, and it's just Mm -hmm. really great to kind of see that initiative over time. Um, But, you know, what was your first ever investment? This is something I really like to ask people Mm -hmm. because like sometimes it's like the best thing that they've ever made. Sometimes they're sentimental about it. Um, what was your first yeah. investment? So this one's, uh, again, a mixed bag because I bought two <laughs> things at once. So I, um, I bought Apple. So that, you know, that's, that's always a classic. And Blackstone, which is this real estate company. And I didn't know anything at all. It was the, the recommendation came from from Nathan, the person who, who pushed me over to the edge. He, he's like, not a financial advisor though, right? He's no. just like, he's like no. not financial this advice, my, but. Yeah, this is where I bought. My dad told me it's a good stock. So um, I, of course, you know, bought it. And it was funny. I specifically remember, you know, I, I never paper traded. You know, a lot of people like start off paper trading where they have like fake money. And I, I know how to play poker. I've played poker throughout my life. Uh, there's always that saying, you know, you can't learn how to play poker with fake money. No. You don't bet the same. You don't bluff the same. And I feel the same way about the stock market. So whenever someone who's new asks me, I say, put in amount of money that you're uncomfortable to, you know, slightly uncomfortable to lose. So at that time, you know, I didn't have a job. That was like 400 bucks. I had 400 bucks in my account and I treated those 400 bucks like it was you know, a million dollars every day yeah. checking and strategizing and, and maybe the stock would go up, uh, go down like one and a half percent, which would like be 10 bucks or something mm-hmm. in my account. But I treated it like, no, at the, in the same way, if I lost, you know, $20,000 in a, a much bigger account or something like that. So I took it really seriously, even though it was kind of a comically small amount of money. <laughs> so, well, actually, that's a very unique take because um, I think the common saying is don't invest what you're not willing to lose. And actually, like your take, I think, is a little better because you're saying, like, actually, like it's probably good to be a little concerned about about it because then you have skin in the game. Um, and that's Definitely. that's really important. Are you still holding like Apple and did you say it was black Blackstone? It was, uh, I'm getting confused yeah. with that mercenary. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> ones along those lines. It's Blackstone. No, I, I only a- hold Apple still. I don't think I ever sold. I only own Apple. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, so uh, no, I, I own a lot of stocks, but th- yeah. I, that's the only one I've hung on to f- from that that era per se. You know, I, I agree with you in the sense that a lot of newer investors, when they get into the market, they fall into what I like to call a gambler's philosophy, mm-hmm. where if you walk into a casino, you say, you know, I have a thousand dollars and I'm totally a thousand percent willing to lose all this money. 
then you gamble it. You start gambling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people do that with the stock market. They just gamble it. Uh, they go, ah, oh, well, whatever. You know, well, you can't get better if you say whatever after every totally. single bad trade. You're not learning from it. You're not, okay, what went wrong here? And if you feel that fire a little bit, it's, it's, you can't get better in the market um, investing wise if you, unless you feel the fire. If it's not your money, you're not going to feel the fire. If you're gambling, you're not really going to feel the fire because then yeah. it's just like an entertainment thing. Um, and yeah, that's the way I went. That's so cool. Um, so, you know, what, what would you say? Like, I really want to get into your portfolio, like later on in the mm-hmm. conversation, because it's always interesting sure. to see how, um, people like how people's portfolio changes over time, um, when their interests right. kind of change as well. But what would you say your best trade is? This one's tough. Um, <laughs> well, you can, you can name a few. Yeah. You don't have to say like yeah. your, your favorite one. <laughs> Uh, percentage gain wise, it happened to be when people ask me that I shy away from like what I perceive as luck, you know, because Mm. I think the best trade is the one that you did a lot of research on. You, you figured out a company and you, you saw it before it came to fruition. Um, I had one trade that was completely opposite, you know, it was kind of just like a, I saw a trend occurring. This was, you know, when GameStop exploded. I started researching like the Google AdWords and the Twitter mentions of AMC. And I felt like that would be the next quote unquote GameStop. This was the first time AMC really took off. And yeah. so I bought these call options that went from $1 premiums to like $15 in one night. So that's like 24 hours of, yeah, uh, you know, 100 Time, uh, 10 times X um, in 24 hours. But that's, that's luck in my mind. Or that, that, that's, that was kind of like a gamble or more of like a, what we would call YOLOing response. <laughs> well, I mean, I, maybe, maybe it was um, your intuition, you know, like yeah. sometimes your intuition is like lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I would say my favorite trade or like a trade that I felt like I saw the direction of the company going um, probably some of the semiconductors, uh, AM, AMD, I bought pretty early in the game. I was buying that stock when it was 10, $12. I traded in and out of it. Finally went long in the forties. Um, and that was kind of, it was an important stock for me because that was like the first stock that I really did incredible amount of research on. So yeah, I feel better about it. I was like, Das, I saw that <laughs> happening, you know, and it happened <laughs> versus like just throwing my money, at, uh, throwing my money at a wall. And, and that's the way the game works. I mean, there's a lot of people, their best trade is just like, they took uh, 1% of their portfolio and just kind of did a YOLO and, and it worked out. And yeah, so I, I feel like the better example is the due diligence, you know, example. So that's good. Um, I, I wonder, like, have you been in a situation where you've done a lot of research, like you're really, really sure about something mm-hmm. that you were investing in and maybe it didn't turn out exactly what you thought? Like, what was your worst trade, would you say? For sure. Uh, probably my worst trade was at a lot of people's too, uh, <laughs> was probably Luckin Coffee, which was <laughs> a... <laughs> A Chinese coffee company. I mean, Jim Cramer was all over this stock too. It was hilarious. Um, you know, coming out with all these great numbers. Uh, I've spent a lot of 
I've spent time in China. I've spent time in Japan and Korea and they're not coffee drinkers. They like tea. They like yeah. hot water and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, well, maybe it's finally coming around. <laughs> you know, look, these numbers are incredible. And, um, you know, the, the, I woke up one day, it was overnight, the stock dropped 88%. Uh, remember it like yesterday. And a lot of people got burned. Um, I walked out okay because I, I, I did some quick trades right when it opened up. <laughs> um, but I did not see that coming. Nobody, nobody saw that. I mean, it was basically a lie. It was a a propped up shop essentially. Um, So yeah, that one was that I did not see that coming and that one hurt. Yeah. I I think it's really important that um, people who are new to investing do kind of hear that, you know, seasoned investors are like those who are a little further down in their journey also have like, you know, had their wins and their losses. And Mm -hmm. it's just something that you kind of have to, I guess, like take with, with this type of investing situation. Um, something else, it wasn't just like the, that coffee company that you mentioned. It was also like Nick, Nicola. Um, yeah. Nicola. Motors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That one was funny. Um, I think it was with like Robert Ross in the last podcast. He was saying that they were literally like yeah. pushing a truck yeah. <laughs> like down a highway or something. And I just thought, wow, like that's, that's pretty um, creative, but. Oh, there. That, that's the thing about, you know, not every company, there's a, a lot of shadiness, you know, uh, especially with companies that are new or startups there, they might've hitched the wagon uh, to the horse too early. Nicola was a perfect example of that. It, it was actually a SPAC VTIQ. I bought it around 16 and then it changed over to, uh, to Nicola and it was going to be the next EV company. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had this Overpromising CEO, Trevor yeah. Milton. Um, basically, he turned out to be a pathological liar yeah. and um, made all these promises and yada, yada, yada. Before you knew it, everyone started to figure out, wait, they don't even have a, their, their car's not even running. You know, uh, the demo video is them pushing the, the truck down the road. It's actually yeah. at a slanted hill. And <laughs> the Stock plummeted, obviously. People pulled out. CEO Trevor Milton, I mean, he left the company, nowhere to be found. Mm. So it happens to the best of us. And in reality, I don't listen to anyone that won't admit a bad trade or, you know, have have never been on a bad side of a trade because you probably just haven't been in the market long enough. If if you buy enough stocks or if you've been in the market long enough, there's always going to be, you're going to have those losers, but those are what set you apart and make you better. So. Yeah, it's like the, I think people who have a good track record of, um, you know, decent losses and like you can see that kind of change over time. Um, I would much rather kind of follow their philosophy than anybody else. But, you know, speaking a little bit about philosophy um, in your own portfolio, do you focus more on individual companies or are you kind of more of like a thematic investor looking more at kind of like themes in a market Um, Mm -hmm. or you kind of like you just really like tech? How, how do you kind of organize your portfolio and, you know, dedicate your research? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I have an IRA and I have my personal portfolio. So I kind of have a different strategy for each. Obviously, one is a retirement account. So mm-hmm. that one you want to be a little bit more uh, long term and sophisticated. Uh, and the personal account, I'm kind of more willing to put on a little bit more risk per se. I am a tech investor primarily, but if I see a trend occurring 
Um, I like to hop on trends. It helps that I'm on Twitter. (laughs) It's not the best thing, but I'm on Twitter a lot, way more than I should be like maybe six hours more than I should be per day. Um, And so I can kind of see these trends going. And I think anyone on Twitter can see the trends occurring, the SPAC trend, this trend. Um, for, for a good example was when oil went negative last year, mm. you kind of have to think, okay, well, whenever something's crashing, something's also going up. And I, you know, we're watching videos, did some research and I go, oil tankers, they're going to make a lot of money off of this because people are trying to store their oil. So these oil tanker companies like NAT popped because they were charging outrageous rates for people to store the oil and no one wanted to sell the oil because it was the price of oil was literally negative. Um, so that's kind of an example of hopping on a trend. I, I do that more so with my personal account and then with my retirement account or some of my personal, I'm more industry focused. Currently, right now, I'm really into semiconductors, and I feel like for at least the next five to 10 years, that industry is going to continue to uh, grow. Um, I also have, you know, just like kind of my long term holds that I just think the company is just unbe- unbeatable in a yeah. way. Uh, like, so Apple. that's like Disney. Yeah. Apple yeah. Disney. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, you know, I, I think that those who are new to investing, sometimes they just don't really know exactly where to start. And mm-hmm. um, I'd really love to understand like how you go from hearing about a company to doing your research, like what's your research methodology? Yeah. Like, it seems as though you kind of use like, like a whole bunch of tools. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, you said like you're looking at Google Trends and Twitter. Um, it seems right. as though your research is kind of more like social based. Is that right? Definitely. Um, you know, you kind of have three methods of, in, of how people invest. You got technical, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, and then observational. Yeah. Observational is, in my opinion, the easiest way for a beginning investor to get involved. What apps do you use? Do you like Snapchat? Do you think they're going to be better? Okay, that's an easy company to you know wrap your head around, right? Um, so a lot of great investors like Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch, they always re- recommend people who are newer to investing to invest in what you know, invest in companies that you use. I go to Costco a lot, you know. Yeah, love Costco. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's great stock uh, in my opinion. Um, so I like to use a mix of fundamental and uh, observational. Obviously, when I started out, I was like practically strictly observational. I was mm. 17. I didn't know what a balance sheet was or an income statement was. I, you know, oh, I have an iPhone. I'm going to invest in Apple. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but as time went on, I, I, I think really the, the best thing that someone can do can take themselves from to the next level is go on YouTube and watch videos explaining what an income statement and a balance sheet is. Mm. Watch those two videos about a hundred times over. And I guarantee you, you just separated yourself from about 80% of the investors just doing that alone, because um, there's a lot of people that are still stuck at, at phase one. And if you go to phase two, it can just help you profoundly knowing if a company is profitable or not. There's people that own stocks. They don't even know if they're profitable or not. Um, and that 
you know, brings on a whole new set of risks, new things to look into. Um, another thing that I always tend to look at is the what type of industry the company is in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's Snapchat or Square, which is basically Cash App, you know, they own Cash App. That's not a company that I'm going to be looking at the same metrics as I would look at for Walmart. Yeah. There's completely different industries. Um, Cash app numbers, for example, I'm going to be looking at how many times is that word used on Google? How many times, uh, how many new subscriptions are coming in? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like how profitable they are, right? Yeah. Um, Because it's about building the user base where versus, you know, Walmart, I'm more looking into what type of logistical um, issues are they occurring? Do they have enough drivers for their trucks? What is the future of that company? It's already so established. So hopefully I didn't, I didn't go too long. No, no, no. I I was just letting you fly with that because um, I think that that's also very important. A lot of people, um, they, they want to focus on like the fundamentals, but you know, it really does depend on the industry. Like if you're looking at something in Mm -hmm. tech, sometimes it's more about at least at the early stages, getting that market share. Like as you said, those um, subscribers or, you know, the traffic. Um, And when you're looking at another business that maybe has been in the game for longer, you are kind of looking more at like the harder numbers. So I think that's great, great advice. Definitely. The, the main thing too, is in tech, you have to realize what you're playing with. Mm-hmm. All the good companies are overvalued. That's why they're good, <laughs> you know, or, or that's uh, um, they're they're overvalued because they're good, right? Uh, for the most part, trying to find a diamond in the rough right now in tech is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to find a a great company that is super undervalued. Uh, odds are, it's undervalued because something's wrong with it, right? Yeah. Versus, you know, you maybe on the value side or maybe on the stocks that have been around for decades, you, you might find those, okay, wait, no, this stock is undervalued. Um, so you kind of have to see what you're playing with. Um, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, 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 don't, don't be sorry. Um, it's, I think it's, it's good. It's a good opinion, um, to share. And I think that it lets people know to be in a, I guess in a bit more of a flexible mindset um, to understand it's like, yeah, there's different ways to assess a stock and invest in it, but everything has to be kind of almost like a tailored approach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've mentioned SPACs a lot and I've not had somebody on Prosper podcast explain that to the audience yet. Do you want to go into okay. SPACs? Um, you know, just describe what it is. Like, is For it sure. legit? <laughs> yeah. No. So it, it's very legit. Um, What's funny is, you know, SPACs had the biggest year ever, right? In 2020, everyone had heard the name. Maybe not everyone knew what they were, but heard the name. But the thing is, SPACs have been around for for a while, actually. Mm. It's just a a different way to IPO. And it's customized. The the goal is to have a more beneficial uh, Business, business transaction for actually the original shareholders, the investors, the core investors, not like you, you and me, but the uh, yeah. people invested in the business. And um, the way they do it, essentially, they have a holding company that is public and it's listed at a price. Let's Generally, it's around like $10. Mm-hmm. That's usually the price that most SPACs are listed at. And it goes through, it takes about two years 
It has to be done within two years. That company, let's say it's like VTIQ. We're going to use the VTIQ to the Nicola example. Um, you can kind of invest in it in a way pre-IPO. Um, it's a public ticker and the core investing group then votes on a merger with a company. Yeah. So VTIQ merged with Nicola and that's when they switched tickers over to Nicola. So there's pros and cons. The biggest con could be is let's say the merger gets denied and it mm. falls through. Um, that's going to send the stock spiraling. Obviously it's almost like, it's like a failed IPO where instead of your company IPOing, it's like right before they realize they go, Oh, we couldn't, we couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, now the, the the pros are is if you buy in early enough, like let's say they listed at ten dollars, it's trading at ten thirty. Theoretically, if the merger um, within that two years before the merger date, that stock can't really trade below ten dollars because um, that would mean that one of the core group of investors in the company would have to pull out, and they're like legally obligated to not to not be able yeah. to. Um, so, you know, after that merging date though, um, it can trade below the SPAC, uh, listed price. So that, that's kind of the basics of, of a SPAC. Another thing that usually is attached to a SPAC is a warrant, which mm. is a kind of like a, a, a long-term option in a sense where you can buy warrants for the SPAC. Kind of gets a little confusing there, but uh, you can own shares of the SPAC and you can own shares or own warrants on the SPAC that eventually turn into shares. That's amazing. And, um, you know, like how much, how many SPACs do you have in your portfolio right now? Like I always like to hear yeah. either um, what types of IPOs people are holding, um, what industries that they're holding, like what is, I guess, like the DNA of your portfolio? Yeah. So, you know, I actually own one. SPAC. It's not a SPAC anymore. Now it's actually, you know, just trading public. Um, and that's open door. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that was originally IPOB and it changed over to open. I owned many stack, uh, SPACs during the heyday of SPACs, <laughs> I guess. Like I owned, um, Tattoo Chef. I owned IPOC, yeah. which turned into Clover. Um, VTIC to, to Nicola. And usually a lot of times these companies, these SPACs are, are not mature companies. There's, there's small companies, right? And so I'm more of a long-term big cap, I'd say mid to big cap uh, investor. So I was kind of using what we would call, you know, asset allocation, like very small amounts in my portfolio, giving it a whirl, you know, kind of yeah. that YOLO responsibly a little bit. Um, but am I, would you like to hear my portfolio? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think okay. that, um, you know, when, when I've been talking to like different listeners of Prosper mm -hmm. podcast, a lot of them are just like, oh, we just want to know like what's in somebody's portfolio. And sometimes people mm -hmm. don't want to share exactly what that is. So even if you say like, yeah. you know, the main five industries that you look at or, um, sure. just which companies that you love. Yeah, no, I'm super transparent. Um, I mean, my portfolio is like public <laughs> so um, on, on common stock, which is this app. But um, 
I own AMD, Apple, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, ASML, TSM, Tesla, Open Door, like I was yeah. telling before, Square, Shopify, C Limited, Microsoft. So ARBK. Like it's it's like tech and um yeah. mostly to all tech, right? Mostly all tech. I get into Disney, Bets, Etsy, Nerd, Facebook, Uber, Open. I already said Open. Yeah. And then I have my dividends, or sorry, my dividend stocks. Well, they're ETFs, QYLD, QQQX, and then the index uh, VGT, which is you know Vanguard Tech Growth. Um, so there's a lot of semiconductors in there, ASML, TSM. You know, is AMD, that because you're yeah. just kind of like spreading the risk between all those semiconductor companies? Yeah, well, my my philosophy for the semiconductors is kind of just own the entire supply chain, essentially. Like, yeah. I would say ASML and TSM are at the top. You know, those are the manufacturers, right? And then below that, you got the players, like who they sell to. Uh, TSM sells to Apple, Sony. Um, and others, then you got the low, the, the layer below that NVIDIA and AMD. So I kind of just look at the whole industry. I'm bullish on the whole industry, but I do want that diversification um, just in case, you know, something happens, but I'm pretty bullish on all of those positions. I just want to own kind of the whole, the whole thing, the whole. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That makes, that makes sense. Um, so like, are there any companies out there that you maybe think are mm-hmm. undervalued? You're kind of like having it there where you haven't necessarily invested in them yet, but you're kind of keeping an eye on. Yeah. Um, so actually the past couple of weeks, I've been kind of talking about Palantir a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of a quote unquote secretive company because they work with the U.S. military uh, and the U.S. government, CIA and such. I it was this founded by the same guy who founded PayPal, Peter Thiel. Um, I read his book that kind of got me sparked the interest even more. Which, um, which book? Zero to one. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a classic. I read that when it first came yeah. out and like, I think, yeah, I was starting my, um, my first company then. And that book just totally mm-hmm. changed my mind about oh. my approach to everything. I was just kind of like, yeah, like build fast, break things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do it now. Yeah, know? do it now. Uh, <laughs> well, you're doing it. You're doing it right now. So that's awesome. Um, gosh. Actually, you know, Jealous. like a, another another really good one is I think it's called Shoe Dog. Um, the story of okay. like Nike. Like, give that one a read because that was another one that I was just kind of like totally inspired me to just mm-hmm. do things now. <laughs> but yeah, Go, sorry, detour. After. Totally. No, detour. no, no. That I'm. Mental notes. I'm I'm putting that down. <laughs> um, that's I think possibly an undervalued company because they just seem to be getting government contracts left and right. And mm-hmm. I would say that I know the government pretty well and the military a good amount, not incredible amount. But uh, when they partner with a company, there's has to a lot of things have to go wrong for that partnership to go away. You know, um, I used to in, invest in Raytheon and Lockheed Martin these other companies that had deep military contracts and they're, they're just not going anywhere, you know? <laughs> so yeah. do you know um, why that is? Like, I thought that that's, that's quite interesting. Cause 
I think mm-hmm. that anybody who contracts to a government, like usually that takes a very, very long time to go through. Yeah. And it does tend to be kind of like a pretty solid partnership. Um, is there any reason why you think those companies aren't kind of like developing or progressing? Um, you know, that's a tough question. It's very, uh, th- there's thousands of companies that have partnerships and contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think efficiency is the number one thing, you know, um, these companies usually kind of goes through like a betting process or, um, especially when it comes to like government contracts for raw materials. I know for, for a good example that it, the, the lowest bidder wins, right? So it's like whoever's willing to do it, the, the cheapest, um, but on time and, and safe or whatever usually wins the contract. Now, when it comes to software, that's, that's, Different. A whole different ball game. Yeah. Obviously, I, I don't know the ins and outs of um, Palantir at like that level because I'm sure that they don't even divulge that information. Um, but it's it's pretty much what I've experienced is when you get a government contract as a company, you will do whatever it takes to maintain that relationship <laughs> yeah. because it's just such a uh, solid revenue source. You know, it it's not like a having a business to business contract and every six months, okay, we're going to review this and, and see what else is out there. Usually their contracts are longer. Um, mm-hmm. and as, as a contractor, you want to, you will do anything to, to maintain it. Cause a lot of times they might not even go shop around or, um, you know, try to look for a better price cause they already have that relationship. So, yeah. Okay, so hopefully that um, answered your question. <laughs> no, absolutely. There, so there's Palantir. Is there anything mm-hmm. else? Um, you know, off the top of my head, I, I still think the semiconductor industry, like five to ten years out, is it's just really prime for growth. Um, yeah. you know, there's chips in everything. There's chips in our toasters. Um, <laughs> and with the whole chip shortage, that's kind of falling right into their hands. I mean, uh. ASML broke their all-time highs. NVIDIA broke their all-time highs. Um, so we're, we're just going to continue to see this, our world become more tech. And, and mm. the only way for that to happen is chips. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the, the things that I see in that industry. So that's kind of all those stocks uh, included. Um, I think, you know, it's tough though. I will a hundred percent admit to say anything is anything in my portfolio. It's tough to say, you know, is it undervalued because, um, like, like <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> go, okay, well, you've been talking about Nvidia. Um, should I buy it? And it's like, you should have bought it when I was talking about it eight months ago, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, about two, 200 points ago when it was, you know, 500, $500, not mm. 770, you know, yeah. it's easier to, you know, say those things um, in hindsight. back then. Yeah. yeah, in hindsight. yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough. It's like, no, my portfolio has already grown or it's already, it, my stocks have already become where they are now. So now it becomes more difficult. You have to reevaluate. Okay. Is this thing overvalued? Um, mm. So. No, that's cool. Um, so, you know, in your Rebel newsletter, Rebel Marcus newsletter, mm-hmm. You said some of the most important principles to learn in fundamental analysis is beta mm-hmm. and alpha. And I'd yeah. really love for you to explain that to our audience because um, I 
I think that is something that's worth knowing, um, but not many people can explain well. And I think you're great yeah. at explaining this type of stuff. So take the floor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, in my, I have a newsletter and uh, my favorite thing to do is kind of just explain principles. And some of them are really basic or um, maybe even things that people are afraid to outright ask. You know, yeah. I, I think there's, there's no bad question in, in investing, right? So, you know, alpha is just essentially in a very basic way, like outperformance. You can get more technical and you can subtract the, the risk-free rate, which is basically like uh, the um, r- most risk-free way to invest, like in treasury notes and stuff like that. Um, but think of alpha as what's your outperformance in comparison to the index. So, for instance, like if I have tech stocks, if my whole portfolio, I, I would compare my portfolio to a tech index, which would be like the NASDAQ, right? Um, you know, if the NASDAQ performed 10% in the year and I performed 12%, it'd be a 2% alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I said, oh, I performed 15% this year and the S&P 500%, uh, <laughs> S&P 500 performed, Five percent. Look at me. Uh, people, uh, someone who knew about Alpha would go, "Well, you own tech stocks. That's not a good comparison, right?" Mm. So that's kind of where beta comes into uh, play, in which uh, beta is a way to figure out like kind of like the correlation. Um, so, and that's by numbers. So, like if you have a one to one to the S and P five hundred. Um, you should be right in line with S&P 500. Yeah. Now, like if you're a retiree, you would want to kind of, and you're, you're trying to lower your risk, you would kind of want a negative correlation. Um, and so that would be like a, a negative, whatever, 0.6 or, or, or something on those lines. So, so they're, they're like indicators that allow you to assess how well your portfolio is doing. Is that correct? Roughly? So yeah. yeah, around that. Yeah, that's, you know, basic example, most of these things are, you know, used for funds. So mm-hmm. an, an entire fund as a whole, um, you know, beta is used to measure the variability between a particular security or stock or a portfolio's movement in comparison with the market in general. So like I stated before, the S&P 500, usually like the overall market and if your stock is a beta of 1.00, it would generally move in unison with yeah. the S&P 500. Now, if a stock has a beta higher than one, let's say like 1.5, uh, that stock will be more volatile than the comparable index, S&P 500. And if it has less, then it'd be 0.6. Uh, it would be less than one. So like um, an, a, just a quick example would be when talking about comparisons, it's, it's like, oh, my stock out, my, my portfolio outperformed S and P 500 and I have S and P 500 stocks. And if you looked at my beta and it said 1.5, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really be that impressive. Cause it's like, yeah, your portfolio should outperform because yeah. it's more, uh, your variability is higher. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, no. It's um, like I, I, um, 
typically what we do like on this podcast is like, I just love asking people mm-hmm. like how they define like certain um, you yeah. know, terminology, because it just makes like a really good library of like places for people to go to understand everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and guys, like if you, like anybody that's listening out there, like, you know, Gannon's um, newsletter is awesome for any kind of questions that you want to ask that you think might be too simple. Um, there's so many resources out there. And also you have a podcast too with um, yeah. Zayd Edmani. Yeah. And actually yeah. It's, it's hilarious, but how did you guys get to kind of working together on that? Um, you know, what should people expect from that later on? For sure. Um, I, it's kind of a funny story. Um I got on TikTok because of my girlfriend (laughs) and uh, I didn't understand TikTok at all. I was like, this is kind of dumb. And then I got roped into it like, like most of us. Right. And I discovered Zade's page and I was, I was like, wow, this, this guy is really great. He's really funny. Such high energy. Yeah. Yeah. Such high energy and just no fluff, you know, just like really what you need to know and um, what's going on. And, and, either a funnier entertaining take on it. Um, and it, I kind of saw in Zay, like what I do on Twitter mm-hmm. um, in, in a way. And so I followed him for a while, a couple of months actually on TikTok. And I don't know how I, it came about, but I went to go search him on Twitter and his name immediately popped up and he was following me. And I had no idea he was following no, me really? on Twitter. And I DM'd him and I said, Hey man, um, I really enjoy like your TikToks, keep killing it, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. And you know, this kind of goes out to people out there who are thinking about content creation is like, that's how you build those relationships. Mm-hmm. People are always like wondering like, Oh, I can't get anywhere. Um, you need help. Uh, I mean, yeah. you need to work together. Help. Yeah, for sure. I would not be where I am on Twitter if it wasn't for the connections that I made uh, via Twitter DMs and stuff like that. And and it starts with the simple like, hey, I like what you're doing. Be genuine, of course. Like I wouldn't have DM'd him and said that if I really didn't enjoy it. Um, and he said, oh, I enjoy your stuff. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I made a post about my favorite TikTok accounts. I included it in it. So that started another conversation. Then before you know it, we had a... FaceTime and it went super well and we're laughing and not talking over each other. And I was just like, dude, we should do a podcast. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. It was just yeah. very natural. Yeah. <laughs> I've been looking for someone. <laughs> and so, um, ever since it's been, it's been an absolute blast. We like literally don't plan at all. We just, you know, talk about the market, um, and have our wild takes and whatever. And it, it's just so much fun. It really is so much fun. So that that's how that went, went down. Yeah. You guys do definitely have, um, like just that like natural chemistry when you guys are talking and mm-hmm. it makes it really easy to, um, to listen and to learn. Um, Appreciate that. yeah, no, no worries, but you know, how, if people want to get in touch with you, how should they go about that? Um, I know that a lot of people, a lot of creators now, um, they're really open to having conversations with people. Like how do people, how do people, yeah, contact you? (laughs) So, um, you know, my Twitter at Gannon Breslin, G-A-N-N-O-N-B-R-E-S-L-I-N, all one word. I answer like probably 15 to 20 DMs a day. Um, I'm very active 
um, on Twitter. I talk with people who follow me all the time. If you DM me, don't just say hello and that's it. Cause I think you'll, you're a scammer. Um, <laughs> hello, <laughs> sir. Hello, sir. Yeah. And then go, you want this Bitcoin reward? Yeah. I need this address. Um, I get like hundreds of those. So just be like, Hey, I saw you on uh, prosper podcast. I have a question and I will get to you. Um, I'm not as responsive as I was, you know, before, cause I get so many now, but that's the main place on my Twitter. You'll see, I have a link and that's where you can find my newsletter. It's a free newsletter. I don't clog your emails. I hopefully get an email off once every week and a half. Two weeks. <laughs> I think that's important. Um, like people who spam, it's like, it might be good information, but yeah. I don't have the brain span to like right. have that. I don't have the the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, and uh, you find yourself deleting newsletters yeah. left and right. Cause you're just like, okay, this person sends out a, a, a newsletter every other day. I can't read all of them, you know, but those are the two main places. Um, and my goal with my Twitter and my newsletter is just to be someone that I wish I could have followed when I was started out. You know, I, yeah. I spent years floundering, um, not knowing anything about the market, trying to figure out myself. And don't get me wrong. If you're there, that's a great place. You know, you're, you're on your way. But uh, my hope is to just give those things that are, are really important that you need need to know um, in an entertaining and fun way. I like to wrap my principles into a story or what's going on in the market um, instead of just, you know, bore you to bore you to death. So that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Gannon, thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. Um, I hope we do this again soon. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much, Maxine. Um, it's been great following you on Twitter and seeing all, all the awesome things you're creating. So awesome. thanks.